Today is September 1st, 2020, and this is Sam Walking in the World, episode 19. September 1st. My birthday is in September, which always used to bring mixed feelings because I hated my job and going back to school where I taught. Um, I was kind of mixed in with my birthday, and so it was always difficult for me to kind of enjoy it. Also, it was difficult for me to kind of enjoy the fall, which I enjoy much more now since I love my job. But when I was unhappy, and again, for those of you who might be new, these are the thoughts of a guy who used to be unhappy. I'm happy now, and I'm still happy. Um, but when I was unhappy, I forgot a year of my life. Like, I forgot my age. I really did. I, I was... I don't know if you do this, but as a, as a new birthday is approaching, even like I would say a few months before, I'll start to prepare myself for the changing of my age. And I'll kind of like make friends with the idea that I'm the next age. Especially when you get older, you know, when it's not the greatest thing in the world that you have another birthday. And uh, so I would just kind of project ahead and be like, all right, okay, I'm ready for this. And... Last year, when I was turning 48, I believed I was turning 49. Yeah, I don't know how it happened. I think it was just in the, in the you know, malaise of being an unhappy person. It didn't really matter. Not that it even matters now. But um, I remember telling my wife, like, all right, I'm ready to be, I'm ready to be 49. You're 49. You seem to be dealing with it. Uh, and she was like, no, you're going to be 48. Honestly, I was like, are you sure? Like, yeah, you're going to be 48. And so now I'll be turning 49 this month. And it's kind of cool. I feel like I almost got to have 49 twice. I don't know. I don't know. That's neither here nor there. But it's September. And I'm looking forward to the fall. I'm looking forward to going back to school. Looking forward to another day in my life, which I was not doing when I was unhappy. Okay, let me get right to it. Too late, right? Okay, I'm going to do something new. Speaking of um, being uh, um, happier now, um, I kind of I kind of think of uh, what it was like then and what it's like now. And every now and then something will hit me, and I'll realize that I'm in a different place. And uh, sometimes it'll be something specific. Sometimes it'll be something kind of in general. But um, I've written a lot of them down over the last couple of years. And so I'm adding a new category. It'll only take one second during the show. But I'm adding a then and now. Um, like uh, indicators. Uh, maybe some of you will relate to this. If you've ever been unhappy and then become happy. Um, maybe you won't. Hope you enjoy them anyway. So... This one is, um, now I don't mind that there are pieces of cashew in the couch cushions. I think I might have mentioned that once before, um, but I love cashews. I love pistachios. And uh, I don't like walnuts. But uh, I was eating cashews last night, and I put a bunch of them in a cereal bowl. And I was, I was laying on the couch watching TV, and I... Um, was kind of just scooping them into my mouth with my hand. And when you're laying down eating nuts out of your palm, don't really, it doesn't really work very well. 
They always kind of slide out. Okay, let's keep it clean, boys. They always kind of slide out and uh, fall on your shirt or, you know, if you lean over, they go into the couch. So I don't recommend a cereal bowl if you're laying down eating nuts or uh, eating them out of your hand. What I thought was a good idea was to get a Dixie cup. And I just scooped a bunch of cashews out of the bowl and I kind of like, you know, drank them, but really ate them, if you know what I mean. And I know it's not conventional, obviously, to eat nuts out of a cup, drinking style, but it worked. And it got me thinking in general about how I'm a lot less conventional. And I, I pay more attention to what it is that works and what it is that's comfortable for me than what is what is supposed to be. Conventionality is kind of this idea of what's supposed to be. And so we, we stick to that structure rather than deviating from it and doing what actually works because it will be viewed as socially abnormal or deviant in some way that doesn't matter at all. So anyway, now I drink my nuts out of a cup. Um, it's kind of like wearing shorts in the winter. Like wearing shorts in the winter. I wear shorts in the winter all the time now. I did last winter and the winter before that. And I wear boots still, and I, you know, I wear a sweatshirt or a coat or a hat or whatever, gloves or whatever I'm supposed to, but sometimes I'll wear shorts, especially if I just come from working out or I was just doing something where my body temperature was up. Part of the reason is because I hate getting my cuffs wet. I think I mentioned that before as well. When you're bottom of your pants, especially for a short person, it happens a lot. Your shorts are dragging along the ground, and when it's wet out, whether it's raining or snowing or whatever, they get wet. And then they drag even further, and sometimes they get caught underneath your heel, and you have that awkward moment of stumbling. Anyway, um, I think it's it's not conventional to wear shorts in the winter. Literally, every single person you see is like, shorts? Huh? Don't you know it's February? No, I didn't know it was February. Oh, my God. I need to get a calendar function on my watch. Um, I mean, that's probably how they came up with skirts to begin with. Like, I bet women had their skirts dragging on the ground, and they were like, no, we need to make these skirts higher so that the bottom of the skirts don't get wet. Like in the Old West or something. And then, and then of course, women had to go crazy, cut their skirts so high that their sexy, naked ankles were exposed, driving all the men folk wild with lust. All right. I've gone way too far. Okay. Today's episode, um, in stupid stuff, I'm going to be talking about a, a benign, but patience testing habit that I think I see pri primarily in, and not, this is not all, so I'm not generalizing, but from my experience, I, I see a habit among, among middle-aged moms whose kids are either in high school or college. My own wife happens to be one of these people. But she's not the only one that I've noticed it with. Um, I noticed it with my sister from time to time and with other people that I've seen. Um, in happiness sense, I'm going to talk about the danger of over-planning arguments. Like when you're upset about something with somebody, if you kind of over-prepare the talk you're going to have with them, um, 
it can cause problems rather than just going with your first thought about whatever it was that bothered you when you want to bring it up with them. Probably in, in marriage, I bet, and in, in relationships in general, this probably happens a lot. Um, in lifey stuff, I'm going to talk about overstacking the tasks of the day. This is a popular topic for me, I know, but um, uh, you'll see as I explain. It is relevant to something I wanted to talk about, overstacking the tasks of your day. Um, in language points, I'm going to talk about the word de-escalate, which has become popular. A couple of thoughts about that. I'm not going to put my teacher hat on too much unless I accidentally put it on, which in case I'm sorry. And then larger things, I'm going to talk about barrier busting, boundary pushing, um, and how uh, we tend to be a, a barrier busting kind of people. And then in, in one way, it's good. In another way, I think it's a bit dangerous. And then, and I think a bit short-sighted, I guess is the best way to put it. So I will get to all that as the show rolls on. So first, let me get the stupid stuff. Now, this habit that I'm always describing in the opening, um, I'll just give you an example of one um, instance where it happened. And that might just be that men are built different, where men, men are, are more eager to hear the point. You know, they're not, it's not fair to say that they're not interested in what you're saying. Um, I, I believe in many cases I am interested in, in what a person is saying. But I, I need to know what that is. And in some cases, maybe this is an overplanning thing too, overplanning to share a story. And uh, it can just run away from you. The point can run away from you. So this is just an example. I've been, I've been banging on my wife a lot lately, and I apologize, honey. Um, and this is not just indicative of my wife, but, but of, of what, like I said, middle-aged moms who uh, maybe it's out of a nesting instinct or something, or a social instinct. I'm not sure exactly, but just this. tell me if you've experienced anything like this. It's where they feel, and again, it's not all of them, but it's where they feel the need to give you the name when they're telling you a story or, or making a point about something through the story. They, they, make, they have the need to give you the name of every single person, even mildly related to the story, and how exactly they're interconnected socially. Like how you might know them, or when you last saw them, or how they're connected to other people that are mildly connected to the story. Right? It's like, um, it's like a kind of like nostalgic social food web of irrelevant references. And I'm sure there's some reason why they feel the need to share them, but it can become frustrating for a person who just wants a point. So, like, for example, so I was at the grocery store parking lot, and who do I run into but Joyce Bailey? Remember Joyce? She's Connor's mom. She played lacrosse with Brayden in high school. Brayden's my stepson, by the way. She played lacrosse. He played lacrosse with Connor. Remember, she mentioned that Connor's brother Vince, who was a year younger than Braden's class, um, he's been having trouble dealing with his college roommate. I guess this kid parties all the time. Vince is so unlike his brother Connor. Like Connor was so much more like Braden, you know. Like 
he was kind of quiet, you know, kind of like that non-partier who just kind of like goes to class and, and does his work and goes to lacrosse and, you know what I mean? But I guess, I guess, remember when Connor got benched for, for being at that party where those girls had to have their stomachs pumped because they drank so much, the ambulance had to be called and the cops came and everyone found out about it. Remember Connor was like, you know what I mean? He was partying a lot then, unlike Vince. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking to myself, for the love of God, please tell me your point. I try, my, I try honestly, try to keep on listening because it's not just about the point. It's about someone wanting to be heard and getting out, you know, emoting. A lot of times I realize it's about emoting. It's not about communicating. And what really else do I have to do anyway? Although my brain starts to kind of fish for the point. I, it's like almost like a, a cell phone searching for Wi-Fi. And it burns energy. And if it's not going to eventually connect to the Wi-Fi, it either wants to shut off the search or find the freaking Wi-Fi. So I said, would you please please tell me the point? She's used to me asking that now. So rather than being offended by it, she just gets to the point. Like she realizes that she's been spinning out of control for the last four minutes. And she'll be like, oh, it's just that it must be really hard to be at college right now with this COVID thing going on like, if you don't get along with your roommate. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I immediately thought of uh, our, uh, her son, our, my stepson, who's at college and what it must be like for him now first going back, dealing with his college roommate. How's he getting along with him socially, fitting in, is he getting the study done, is he being distracted, all that stuff, all the stuff that I was meant to think about four minutes ago. You know, it's like this, it's like playing the Kevin Bacon game, like some middle-aged version, except it's a dotted line of completely ordinary strangers. Ugh. All right, I'm sorry again, honey. Moving on to lifey stuff. Um, you ever have this happen? Um, you ever... You ever uh, ask somebody if they know what you were just talking about and they seem to have no clue? Like, like say somebody's like glancing at the TV while you're talking to them. And this is presuming that you're not like suffocating them with stuff that you have to tell them. But like if you pick your spots and you want to tell somebody something, and you're talking to them for like a minute or two. And it's so funny because this is kind of the other side of it. This is exactly what I must seem like to my wife when she's trying to tell me something. But some people will will do this. Like you'll you'll be t telling them about something and then you'll kind of notice that they're not listening. Or that they're based on their body language or their eye contact or something. You sense this person's not listening to me. And, you know, it's my job to not drone on and on. And so I want to try and make it quick, but I also need the person to be listening. So I'll say, I'll say, are you listening to me? I'm like, yeah. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. What did I say then? And then rather than telling you what you said, repeat, like repeating back anything about what you said, it's they, they tell you the subject you were talking about. Right, like the like the bold face section head of a textbook, rather than like what's in the paragraph. They just like name the topic, and then they go, "See, I was listening." All right, whatever. 
No, no, you accuse me of not listening. They try to turn it around on you. And clearly, they can't give you a single detail about what you thought about the topic, what you felt about it, what you were even saying about it, how it affected you or whatever like that. It was always, it's always like, just like tell you the thing you were talking about. And I'm like, it's like, you're always telling me, you don't listen. No, you know what? I wasn't. I wasn't. Yes, you were. No, I wasn't really. Well, then well, what did you just say to me? I don't know. Something about ears. See if that suffices for them. I don't know. I feel kind of uh, complaining today. I apologize for that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to refresh myself um, and uh, be right back with something that hopefully is less complaining. God, I feel like such a well, you know. I'll be right back after these messages. Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 19. That message was brought to you by a church bell. Okay, um, I feel much better. Thank you. Um, and what I wanted to talk about next was um, over planning the tasks of the day. And how it can be suffocating. And then in the middle of my thought process, my mind spun out into some wild thing. And I just couldn't stop it. So I'm going to share it with you. As stupid as it is. Um, I was thinking about how over planning the tasks of the day can be like a suffocating feeling. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I pictured one of those kidnapping hoods that you always see in movies like the black hood that they throw over the guy's head when they grab him and throw him in the back of the truck or or you know like when there's like a I don't know I don't know one of those hoods and I was thinking in movies they always show it like they'll show the guy getting the hood thrown over his head and it'll get thrown in the truck and then they'll show the view from inside the hood it's always like this grainy, you can sort of make stuff out, but not enough to know where you are. And I always imagine that like your breathing would be really labored because you can't really draw a good breath, but it's not exactly suffocating you completely. And so I started thinking to myself, and I was like, where do they get those? Like, where do they get those hoods? They always seem to have them. I don't know where I would get one if I was planning a kidnapping. I would guess I would try to use like a pillowcase or something to find something around my house that would suffice. But they always seem to have, like, tailor-made kidnap hoods. Like, I imagine, like, in their terrorist headquarters, they have, like, a, a giant wall of mini cubes like they have in the pants department at, like, the Old Navy or Abercrombie. Like, with a bunch of different sizes. Is it, like, one size fits all? Or are they, like... When they're planning their kidnapping, or they're like, okay, this, this guy looks like a large. And then they, they peruse that wall of little cubes looking for the right size for the guy they're planning on kidnapping. I can picture him like flipping up the ends of different folded kidnap hoods, realizing that some of them are placed in the wrong cube, getting frustrated about it. What is this extra large doing in here? I know that feeling when I'm looking for jeans or something. And then they find a misplaced one and, and they do that annoying thing of deciding whether they're going to fold it back up the way the store folded it up 
or are they going to just fold it back up their, you know, normal citizen method of folding, like a person would do their own laundry or something, instead of that way, like, in this store, like, they must teach them how to do it, so, like, the front top is facing outward on top. It's like, and they probably just fold them the normal way. Or just throw them back in. But knowing that it's going to get noticed. Like when I'm in a store and I do that, I'm like, I always like glance to my sides to see if any of like the store clerks are watching. Because they're going to know that I misfolded it. Or didn't fold it at all. I left them a job to do. Which of course is their job. But I can't say I don't like it when it's folded the right way. So that you can like see the size right away. Um, you can see where my mind started spinning out. But, and then maybe they get torn between, you know, like they have a, a busy day of, of like terrorist abductions and torture ahead of them. And they get torn between just moving along and the guilt that they feel of knowing that this minimum wage person who, who, who is in charge of folding them is going to have to refold all the hoods that they disrupted trying to find the hood for the guy they're playing and kidnapping that day. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. If there's terrorist hoods, there's probably government hoods. Like, like the U.S. government, CIA, or like intelligence, special ops, dark ops, whatever it is, I'm sure, they always seem to have the good hoods, too, in movies. Like, when they're going to go capture somebody, pull them out of the field. They always... They always have that perfect black hood ready. I wonder, like, if it, if in the government headquarters where the spies are, there's another wall of those big, you know, boxes where, where they have hoods of various sizes. I'm wondering, like, there's probably, like, a guy in charge of folding those. But he probably does, like, half the work for twice the pay of the guy that's working in the terrorist hood place because it's a government job. He probably gets paid vacations, sick days, all on the taxpayer dime. He probably doesn't even do that good a job of folding them because it's impossible to get a government worker fired. I know I was one. The fat benefit package, medical, dental, probably even eye care. You see where I went with that? That is my insane brain. Anyway, I guess my point started off being don't overplan the tasks of your day or else it can feel suffocating like a kidnap hood. I'm so disappointed in myself for that story. So I'm going to take another quick break and I will be right back to talk about more serious things. But I am in a better mood. Hello and welcome back to Sam Walking in the World. Top of the morning to my Irish listener and guten tag to my German listener. <clears throat> if you're still out there, I appreciate it. Um, I want to talk quickly about language uh, and then I'll get on to um, what I mentioned in the open is uh, overthinking arguments, overplanning arguments. And I think I'm going to talk about overplanning kind of things in general. Um, but first, this word occurred to me. I keep hearing it all the time now. And I, I mentioned in previous episodes how <clears throat> we, we tend to 
we tend to keep adding length to all of our words. And it's also true that we kind of keep adding words. Even if there is a perfectly good word already in existence for the thing we mean to say. I'll give you an example. This word de-escalate seems to have become very popular. Um, it's used a lot around the topic of <clears throat> of like a police dealing with crime or um, teachers dealing with bad behavior in the classroom. Um, anytime you kind of don't want something to continue growing in the direction it's growing. I suppose it could be anything. It doesn't even need to be behavior. But like de-escalate. I, I broke it down kind of like escalate means to increase. Right? Like an escalator increases your height inside of a mall. Um, well, not your height, but the level you're at. I guess it's altitude, which is strange because it's such a small amount of altitude change going from the first floor of a mall to the second floor of a mall. But you understand what I mean. So escalate basically means to increase. So we now say this word de-escalate. It's kind of like decelerate, right? Accelerate means to speed up at a more rapid rate. So decelerate means to speed up at a lower rate or not speed up really at all, which means slow down. But we say decelerate. And the same is true with de-escalate. Escalate means increase. De-escalate means un-increase. If only we had a word that meant the opposite of increase. Yes, we don't, so we'll have to use de-escalate. I feel like there's one, though. I feel like there is an opposite of increase. I can't think of it right now. Moving on. Um, okay, over-planning ideas. Sometimes it's, I was thinking originally about it being as it relates to like um say there's some some point of contention that i have with somebody at work for example and or in my social life and uh and something bothers me and i want to i want to pick a bone i have a bone to pick with them so and, and i'm not with them now i'm going to see them later and so i'm pretty sure i'm right about it right otherwise why would i invest energy at all in in wanting to correct something if I didn't believe I was right someone else was wrong so you ever tell me if you've ever done this you go through this process where you talk to them even though they're not there and maybe out loud even if you're like alone in your car or if you're around other people and you're a crazy person like at a bus stop or maybe just in your head and you predict what it is they you think they're going to say. Like you imagine yourself making your point. You picture them rebutting in whatever way that you've decided they're going to rebut because of how you can predict their patterns, because of how you know them as a person, and they're likely to come back with this. And then, and then you think to yourself, all right, you know what? If they come back with that, I'm going to come back with this. Or maybe I'll just head off what they're going to say by adding something more at the beginning. And then they'll say this, and then I'll say that, and then I'll add this. 
because I really have two points to make. And like, I have like a couple of details that support each point. And so I don't want them to get me off track because they're going to try and change the subject because of this other thing. I know they're probably going to bring up. I'll keep that separate. And then, and you end up with this almost like an outline in your head of how you plan on proceeding your way through this argument or discussion or whatever you want to call it. And, and <laughs> I don't know about you, this, doing this episode, this, this uh, podcast has kind of helped me understand the perils of over planning, over planning ideas. Cause I honestly, as this episode is a clear indicator, I have never, I don't really have any idea where this is going. I follow my mind. I hope I stay on some kind of linear course so that it's worth it to continue listening. But that's up to you. So I, I, I first got tempted to start like kind of making an outline of what I planned on talking about in examples that I wanted to make sure I didn't forget to include, um, which I still sort of do, but in a, in a looser way than I originally thought would be a good idea. Like, tell me if you've ever gone down this rabbit hole. Well, you can't really tell me, but have you ever gone down this rabbit hole where you make an outline and, you know, some some thought patterns are complicated. So you have, like, some examples or a few main points, some examples that support them, some details that go with each of those supporting examples and next thing you know, you've developed this giant structure that you almost become a slave to itself. Like, should I use Roman numerals for the big points? And then maybe regular numerals for my examples? And then, I don't know what, should I use like uppercase letters for each of the details? But details sound like they should be lowercase letters. Because I don't want to think that they're too major and I'll be looking at like a capital A and think it's major when really it's just a detail. So maybe I'll go with a lowercase a. And then, and, and all the while you're working your way across from the left side of the paper to the right where your starting points are and your margins. And eventually you like, you know, you're going to run out of room like this, like, like outline categorized Thelma and Louise is going to fall off the right side of the page. So you only get so many sub references before you don't have any room left. And so I've honestly sat there. And been so distracted by the structure of my outline that I completely lost interest in the thing that I was outlining. Like just got frustrated and said, the hell with the whole thing. I have literally done this. And so now I remind myself not to over plan when I'm organizing information because I will go down that rabbit hole. And that part of my mind that I know comes up with the good stuff, it just it just does. Um, it gets clogged up with all this other crap. And the other stuff is important, but but the most important thing is the is the creativity, I guess, or the you know, the ability for my brain to be loose. And in the, the, the more sophisticated a structure like that is when you're organizing information, the more you tend to adhere to it, whether it's the natural course of thought or not. That's what I guess I'm trying to say. Oh, all right. 
And with that, I only have one more thing left to talk about, and that is barrier busting and larger things and boundary busting. And how we're kind of a a culture, as a culture, we're kind of we're about maybe even as a species, we're about breaking down barriers, pushing boundaries. So we'll get to that right after this quick break. Welcome everybody back to Sam Walking in the World. That message was brought to you by my boy Milky, who is back from spending some time with his family in Wisconsin. Good to have him back. All right, moving on to larger things. Um, then talk about barriers. Um, it, it, when, when parents talk about their kids as they start to get older, it seems to be common among parents to talk about how it is a parent's job to to in to erect boundaries for their child as they're growing up. I remember in a previous episode, I mentioned that Mark Twain said that uh, that children are just unreformed criminals, and so as children grow and and push against boundaries, it's parents' job to keep those boundaries so that children understand, well, first of all, to keep them safe, right? You don't want your child running in the middle of the road. And so they have to understand that, that there's a boundary there. And if they do that, they're going to get in trouble. You don't want them sticking their finger in light sockets or anything like that. So it starts out with very obvious boundaries like that and to protect them. And then just as our, as a curious creature, people tend to go out and test the boundary. It's a natural inclination to wonder what's past this or that. We still do it. I look out into space and wonder what's out there. If, if there was a wall out there, I wonder what was on the other side of it. So children kind of do that with their natural surroundings. It's kind of like when you bring your dog to someone's house they haven't been to yet. They literally have to go find out everything in every direction. And they go to the limit. And that's what children do growing up. But parents always talk about how important it is to establish boundaries. As the, as the one in, in authority, one responsible for the caring and protecting for the, for the child, they have to keep these boundaries. And I agree. I agree. Um, and we, I, I even hear people say, you know, it's good that kids try to try to push boundaries. That's their job at their age. If, if you had a kid that wasn't doing that, you'd be like, you know, wonder the kid should be more and more adventurous. So anyway, it's a balance. But it got me thinking about how, me thinking about how easy it is. And this is true for adults too, when like with their boss or anyone else that they have an authority as an authority over them that they have to respect boundaries. And it's easy to bang your fist against the barrier when the barrier is strong enough to withstand it. Say that again. It's easy to bang your fist against the barrier when the barrier is strong enough to withstand it. It's a different thing when you have to erect your own barrier in its place should you knock it down. It's almost like we feel comfortable banging with reckless abandon against the border because or the barrier because we know it's going to stay there. 
I don't think, I think the stronger the barrier is, the more secure we are in the idea that it isn't going anywhere, the harder we can bang against it. Which is kind of an oxymoron. Because if it did fall, then what would you what would we choose to replace it with? What would that wall we made be constructed of? Or doesn't it matter? I think it does. Like I think what comes to mind is like uh, the protests, like this this group Antifa, which I guess is anti-fascist, but their behavior doesn't really appear like they're too against fascism. But anyway, I don't want to get political, but just <clears throat> a group that's pushing against the system. This group is pushing against the barriers put up by the the democratic capitalist system that we have, and I wonder. You know, just, just as adults say that children need boundaries, children are predisposed to push against them, that people are in general, but when they're adults, I wonder if they really stop and contemplate what system it is they would replace it with. Because it's just so easy. It's a, it's a lot like what I was talking about before, where members of the team can criticize the coach but should they get rid of the coach, they don't know exactly what other kind of coach they would install. They keep that separate in their mind from the problems that they have with the existing barrier. And I think it's important to remember that whenever I find myself banging my fist against the border, which I do. And I guess sometimes I feel like I do have a better idea of what I can replace that barrier with. A new, better barrier. Um, sometimes I don't. I just, I, out of convenience and I guess selfishness, I just think about the parts that I don't like and I don't think as hard about the parts I depend on. And I've mentioned this before and I talk about my parents keeping me safe um, until I was ready to become my own person in the world. A lot of barriers are important. Now, taken out of context, that would sound awful. Um, but in context, I think it makes a lot of sense. Because we see what happens when important barriers are removed. And we've all seen it. Like, um, what tends to happen to children whose parents allowed their boundaries to fall when they're pushed? Because when someone's banging on a barrier, they're unhappy a lot of times. They think it's unfair. They don't like whoever it is that put up the barrier. And all those things can hurt if you're the guy who put up the barrier or the woman who put up the barrier. And uh, sometimes there's an urge to cave. And they, um, I think, like, it's kind of like I have a lot of trouble resisting giving my dog table food. She looks at me like she's so sad, wonders why I can't just give her a piece of my mashed potato with sour cream. So I usually give it to her. Which I guess is not that big of a deal, but it is hard to withstand the feelings of a person who's banging against the barrier. Um, and it takes a different kind of level of thinking where you have, you know, you take the whole scope of everything and into consideration. 
instead of simply how you're feeling in the moment, which is a lot like what the person banging on the barrier is doing. And so when you see these parents who allow the boundary to fall because they, you know, want their children to like them, we hear this all the time too. You're not there to be your child's friend. You're there to be your child's parent. And it's true, but it's hard. You know, and we you, you see what happens to kids whose parents sometimes even don't set boundaries at all. Kids tend to run to excess. And they never kind of, at least maybe maybe they do eventually, but they have trouble erecting their own barriers for themselves. Probably sometimes for other people, too. They, maybe they become the kind of parents who let their kids get away with everything. And, you know, I noticed this, too, and I don't mean to speak in generalities, but all psychologists seem to have kids who they let do whatever they want. I don't mean to speak in generalities. But anyway, we are a we are a border busting species. There's no doubt about it. And so we are also a border erecting species. Um, and I just was thinking a lot lately about the interplay between them and how as I get older I realize how much more important certain barriers, you know, not like discriminatory barriers and like that, but barriers against what a person would do at a certain stage of life or in a certain state of mind. But anyway, that is what I have to say about that. Please um, understand how much I appreciate you indulging me, especially um, in this particular episode. I feel like I went crazy. But I will recollect my sanity and I will... See you soon, hopefully tomorrow.